0: This is the season of His grace This is the season of our breakthrough This is the season of His power This is the season where His love shines through At Pentecostal tabernacle are broken love. Good morning. It is an honor to be here today. It is an honor always to be at PT. This is a place where I feel like the Lord meets me. And wherever I go, wherever I speak, when I talk to students, I talk about PT. Because this is a place where the Holy Spirit's at work, where life is changing. And I feel honored by that. And I want to say, too, that this is actually the second sermon of the day. The first sermon always is, Lord, you deserve our praise. It's always the first sermon. And we give that sermon, when we hear it, then we realize we're ready. For the Lord to speak and act and change us. And that's always must be the first sermon. No matter where you've been, no matter what's happened or what's gone on in your life, that's always the first sermon. And I praise God that that's what's happened today. Amen. It is an honor to be here today. And I thank Bishop Brian for inviting me to come. And I'm praying that he and Lady Carmen are having a good rest as they're away this week. I'm grateful for Elder Roy and Anita for welcoming me here, being good friends. And I know that the Lord is calling you in the season of Lent to a time of consecration. I know that this is a season now when you're all engaging in times of preparation for Easter. And as Bishop Brian asked me to come, he asked me to speak to you today. What does it mean for the church to be a community? And I'm glad to do that because the core element of the church is what it means to be a community. And PT, as long as I've known you, and I haven't known you as long as the church has been here, obviously, but I've known you at least for a decade. And in that time, in that time, PT is always a place that cares deeply about community, about relationships, about reaching out, about being a place in Cambridge that is more than just a gathering point, but a place where people get changed. But I think it's harder to be the church today. I think it's harder. When I grew up in the small town of California where I grew up, there was nothing else to do on Sunday. The stores weren't open. There wasn't TV. We did have TV. I'm not that old. But everybody went to church, and if you didn't go to church, you were one of those people that everybody knew didn't go to church. And you identified people where they went to church. Oh, they're a Baptist, we're a Presbyterian, oh, they're Catholic. Everybody went to a different place. And you actually saw people during the week. You went into the the hardware store, you went into the pharmacy, you went to the grocery store, and you met people you were in church with. And while we drove to church, it was less than a mile from my house. And we went there midweek, because frankly, there wasn't a whole lot to do with my town anyway. Church was where you were. It was a center of community, and it was a great thing. But it's a different world today. It's a different world. Very few of us live near where we go to church. If you live near PT, God bless you because God has blessed you. Be being close to a place. That's amazing. But most of us are driving in. And there's also a lot of transitness, right? People are moving all the time. God brought my children to Cambridge, and then he sent them to D.C. with my grandson. Then that's not right, but then we'll talk about the Lord later. (laughs) I think it's harder to be the church today and harder to figure out what does it mean for us to be a community. And we're in danger, we are in danger as a community to become an observational place. We're in danger of seeing church as something we drive to and see a performance of and experience on Sunday and the drive away and not think about it for the rest of the week. But I'm here today to tell you that's actually not what the church is. The church is a community. And as I pray today to th- ask the Lord what I should speak of, he actually gave me four texts. And you'll be happy to know I'm not going to speak deeply at all four because we want to get out before 2 o'clock this afternoon. But I am going to touch on all four of those passages because the, the scriptures are filled, are filled with admonitions about what it means to be a community of faith. Church, community, they're n- words that are synonymous. And the first passage is from this, John 15, 5. And it says this, I'm the vine, And you are the branches, Jesus says. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to tell you the thing that's obvious. We've already sung about it. You know it, but I'm going to say it to you again. The church is a community because of Jesus. He gives us life. It's the only life is found in him. Now, you can have life outside of Jesus. You can. The world offers you a kind of life. It does, and it can be at some level a satisfying life, especially if you know no other. But in the church, we say it is only in Jesus where there is life. He makes the church the church, and we are to be attached to him, vine to branches. And that doesn't mean just allegiance to him, just not saying, like, I do what a good teacher or a political figure, I'm really aligned with that person. I really think Jesus is great. I find my center on him. It's more than that. Jesus literally is life. He's more than a symbol. We follow him by the power of the Holy Spirit because we know that he was conceived miraculously, born, died, rose again, called himself the Son of God, called disciples to follow him. And he lives today in people, in you and me, if you follow him. And it's essential that Jesus be at the center. And I'm underlining that point to you. I know you know it, but I'm underlining that point because there are many, many, many churches in New England who have lost their center on Jesus. He is no longer the cornerstone. He is no longer the one they're all attached to. They believe in him at some level. He's a great symbol for them. They may name him, but there's no power in what they're doing. And in their experience, it's no longer a transformational place because Jesus is missing. We're the church because of the living, resurrected Jesus. And when you come in the morning to worship what we just did now, that wasn't just to get you revved up for the sermon. That wasn't just to help you stand up and remember your name. It was actually to open your life and heart this morning, no matter what your week has been, to say, there is a living Jesus in this place. And we are to tune ourselves, open our hearts and minds to him today. And if you're not experiencing him, it's not because he's not here. Life is complex. We know that there are a lot of things that get in our way, a lot of things that cause all that tuning in to be hard. But we are the church and a community because he is here. And let me just say this then too, church. It's his. This church, us together, we belong to him. He directs it. He has claim over it. He's the head of it. He's the cornerstone. Now, you know about cornerstones, right? A cornerstone in a masonry building, it sets the corner and it's got to be square because you set every other wall to it. And the whole building is based on the cornerstone. If the, Jesus is not the cornerstone, if we get off from him, then all of a sudden the whole building is gone. And that's why I have to say it over and over and over again. You must never assume Jesus is at the center. You must make him the center. Yeah. You must not assume, just because you name his name and call him out, that he's the center of your life, he's the center of what you're doing, or he's the center of PT. We have to act and call it out. We have to look to him. We have to be centered on him to make sure what we're building is focused on Jesus. And that's why when we say my church, we have to be careful. That my, that M has to be a small M, not a big M. We have to be careful because those of us who have been in the church for a lifetime, those of us who lived in this place, those of us who have been changed in this place, we can easily get to the place where we want to keep the church the way we feel most comfortable with it. We want it to look the way we did when we got transformed, when we got healed, when we got called. We want the church to look the way we did. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden we start things like, my church doesn't do things that way. My church doesn't allow that kind of music. My church doesn't like that kind of carpet. My church doesn't like that paint coupler. My church doesn't make me park way over there. when I, For 20 years, I parked right outside the door. My church doesn't do that. And what happens before we know it? All of a sudden, we're in this tug-of-war with Jesus. Mine. It's mine, Jesus. Anybody who's had a two-year-old know what that's like. And I'm here to tell you, that's a tug-of-war you will never win. You will be left sitting with your hands empty, fighting for something that's not yours. The church belongs to Jesus. We are His community. And so here's the question. In this season of PT, when you are wrestling with what it means to be a greater church, a bigger church, a growing church, Where is your mind? Where is the thing you want to hold on to? Because there's change coming. And you think if I let go of this, I've lost the church. What thing do you need to let go of? What's the thing that he's asking you to receive? If you let go of one thing, he'll give something else in your hand. But if your hand is like this, he can't give you anything else. What's the thing you need to let go of? What's he trying to change that you're hanging on to? And he's trying to shake you off of it. The church belongs to Jesus. It is his. And to be a community of faith, we have to center in on him. Secondly, from Second Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, this is what Paul wrote. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body consists not of one member, but of many. We, we, you and me in this place, we are the body, whether we like it or not. It's different than going to joining a gym or a club where you walk in and you decide, do they have the right equipment? Do I like the changing rooms? Do they have good trainers? And then I go in and out and I don't ever have to talk to anyone. And basically, I'm there in that gym for it to serve me. And I come and get what I want and I leave and I've gotten what I've gotten and that's it. That's not what the church works. It is a community connected. And you can't pick and choose who's a part of that. You are here because you're related to Jesus, and that means you're related to everybody else. And so the old old saying holds true, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. You can't pick the church. You can't, even though we'd like to be. See, and I know the minute I brought it up, you would never say this, but there are people you're thinking... Man, I wish they weren't in the church. There are people, you don't want to look at them, but there are people in the church, in PT, you're thinking, Lord, when I pray for them, I pray, please send them to St. Paul's. <laughs> if they were only at Abundant Life and bless Bishop Ward, oh my goodness, if Pastor Lorraine Thornhill could be with them, she could really help them, but the Lord's not going to help them here. You know you think that. But here's the reality. When we're in Jesus, we enter into a community of faith that we don't choose. We don't choose them. He chooses us. And we gather together, understanding that in reality, everybody is essential. And we're not sure why. The body of Christ is the place when we gather together, spiritual gifts emerge. And those spiritual gifts are going to change us, speak to us, help us, and hold us. And so we can't say to one another, verbally or silently, I have no need of you. We can't get to the place of saying to someone, Attitudinally, isn't that nice they've come? Isn't that nice? I hope they sit in the back. Because you don't know how God will use them to change you. And you don't know the word you have for them. You don't know that. You don't know what God is trying to do in this place to build for a future that you can't see. We don't know what tomorrow brings. You and I, we can't predict what's going to happen a minute from now. We can assume, we can hope, but we don't know. Only God knows, and He is preparing a way that you and I can't see. And if we center in on Him, He brings the people together to know the right people to gain change, to bring a place for Jesus. I preached at First Holiness a couple of years ago. It's a great experience. First Holiness is a great church. I'm not encouraging you to go there, but I'm just saying it's a great church. And I their worship leader Leslie Seely, I'd never met Leslie before, and I don't know if you've heard her lead worship wow, there's a voice that comes out of the depth of, it just picks you up and lifts you up, and I could hardly speak after it. And I, I left, and I, she handed me a CD. I didn't know why, and she wanted me to have this CD of hers, and I thought that was nice. And So I would listened to it a couple of times, but it hadn't really meant much. And then one day, when I'd had an incredibly difficult week, when I had wondered where Jesus was, when I began to ask Jesus, what does this mean for me? I don't know what I'm doing in this world. That CD popped up as I turned on the radio. I didn't know it was in there. And I listened to Leslie Seeley sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I have to tell you, that changed my life that day. That was over a year ago. And that is a touch point for me when I think about what God is doing. And God used Leslie Seeley in my life in a way I didn't expect to change me and give me heart for a time when I didn't know if I was going to make it. That's what happens You're going to come to church, you're going to be in small group, you're going to be in prayer meeting, and someone you hardly know is going to come up and say a word to you that's going to change you. They're either going to have a word for you or a prayer over you, and your job is to receive it. And then, when you have a word for someone, when you have a, a prayer for someone, you go and bring that prayer and offer it. You may not know why you're bringing it. You may not know, but you are important and essential, which is the second part of that, right? The second part is, you can't say in this place, I have no place here. I bring nothing. You may have come to this place needy and lost and hurting. And PT was a place of healing and hope for you. But you must get to a place of recognizing that God brought you here, yes, for healing and hope, but also to give and serve. And you are important. You're essential in this place. You may not know why. You may not know what your role is. But God has you here for a purpose. And part of the call of the church is to help one another discover those purposes and those gifts. And to encourage each other to do that. You are the Lord's. You are invaluable. No one can take your place. No one. No matter how you look. No matter where you've come from. No matter what you're doing. You are essential. And we have to give up the lies. We have to say, speak against the lies, the institutional lies, the corporate lies, the historic lies that tell you that you're of lesser value. The world is ready to do that. The world is ready to tell you in your job, in your work, in your home, in the town you live in, you don't have value. And that is a corporate, horrible lie of the devil. And you must resist it. You must resist it. And you have to identify when you're believing lies. You have to recognize when you're getting to a place of saying, Oh, dear Lord, I have begun to believe I'm not worth this much. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be doing this. And you have to let the Lord remind you that you are invaluable. We recognize in the church as community that every person is essential, which means then that it's like a huge birthday party every week. People walk in these doors and we say, Lord, what have you brought to this place? What is the value of this person? What are they bringing? What do you want to discover about them, Lord? And then we see each other differently. No matter how tired you are or how hard it was to get here today, everybody seated around you, everybody in the balcony, everybody at the back and the front of this church, you are essential to the life of this community. And we treat each other that way. We see each other differently and changes how we're talking. So the question is, what is the Lord prompting you to do and say, is there someone the Lord has brought to your heart and mind this week that you need to pray for, you need to speak to, you need to reach out and touch? Have you done that? If the Lord's calling you to do it, you need to obey, as foolish as it sounds. I've had the Lord wake me up in the middle of the night and say, you need to pray for so-and-so. And I think, well, I haven't talked to him for three months. And the Lord says, talk to him and then text him. So I get up and I pray. And then foolishly as it sounds, I text them, And you know what's shocking of the days when I get a text back. It's 3 a.m. and that person's up. And they're worried. And they're struggling. And because the Lord prompted me to pray for them, he had a word for them of encouragement. We don't know what's going to happen when we obey. We don't know. But the call is to obey and then let the Lord follow up and do his work. Who is the Lord putting on your heart today? I was with Bishop the other day. We were driving through the streets of Cambridge. All of a sudden we pull over. He rolls down the window and he shouts to someone in the street, Where have you been? I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> but it's someone the Lord had put on his heart he had seen who had not been to church for a very long time, and he knew that if he didn't pull over that moment and call out their name, he was being disobedient. So he stopped traffic so he could be obedient to Jesus. There is faithfulness, and that is a model to follow. And then the question for those of you who think you don't have anything to bring. What do you need to repent of? Where do you need to say, Jesus, I repent of low view of myself. I repent of feeling like I have nothing to offer. I give up an image of myself that says I have no value. And I'm willing to receive from you the understanding that I am a person of importance in your world. And you need to receive that from him today. Thirdly, from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. And let us consider how to provoke one another. I love the word provoke. Provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to start with the second half of that command. Do not neglect to meet together. You cannot be the community of faith sitting at home. You can't. You can't be the community of faith unless we physically come together. You can listen to T.G. Jakes' living stream. It's amazing. I've done it a number of times. You can listen to great worship at home. You can have an amazing experience with him, but you are not being the church at that moment. You are not being the community of faith. How many times have I heard, I can get all I need from being at home and worshiping there, but that's not true. That is not true. Worshiping in a community of one is just allowing you to believe all the lies that you believe about yourself and continue on in worshiping in whatever broken way you worship. You need the body of Christ physically around you to be the church. That's why it's so essential that we get up and we get here on Sunday morning. It's why it's so essential that you be in a small group, you be related to others, physically present to them. It's why we need to visit the sick and the shut-ins, why we need to visit those in prison, those who are kept from the community of faith. We have to make the effort to get in our cars, to get on the T, to get on the bus, to walk, whatever you need to do to get to a place, to be in a community. Because as we gather together, we become a message of hope to one another, and corporately, we become a message to Cambridge that Jesus is alive. When I get up and go to church from my neighborhood, it is a lonely drive. There is nobody else getting up to go. Nobody else. And it may be they, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your apartment, in your dorm. There may not be anybody else coming. And it could be tempting to say, well, well, today it's eight degrees outside. I, it's warm in this bed. I can praise the Lord in my jammies and coffee. It's good. But you lose something when you do that. You lose something. And we're not trying to make PT great or trying to make the fill up the pews because we feel better. It's because something happens to us in this world. We're together. We remember. Other people believe the way we do. The power of Jesus is present. He's going to do something in our midst. He's going to call us to a place. Coming together is important. Your presence is needed for you and as well as for someone else. Come together. Don't neglect to meet as is the habit of some. And then stir one another up. Provoke each other. Prod each other to love and good works. When we gather together, when we get, part of our job is to, in a very kind and holy way, poke one another. Follow the Lord Jesus. You ought to be doing that. You have gifts. Use your gifts to press one another up to change. Is there something that you are afraid to do? The community of faith, our job is to poke one another to goodness. It is different than nagging, by the way. (laughs) Nagging is different. (laughs) Nagging is when I say, I have a great plan for your life. I know exactly what you ought to do, and I'm going to nag you till you do it. Anyone with teenagers, we know what that's like. But that's not what this is about. This is about standing next to someone, helping be the person God has called them to be. To be able to say to someone, you have gifts, use them to believe in themselves, to call them to do goodness, to serve and to sacrifice. How do we gather together to do that? We do it by hearing the word from the Lord, by praising him, by listening to his authority, and then asking him how he would have us speak, and then speaking, and then not being afraid in an appropriate way to get in each other's business. If you know someone is struggling, if you know they're walking down a bad path, It is not kindness to let them go and then stand on the side and say, wow, they fell over that cliff. That's too bad. you got to stand in their way. If you see someone who you know is gifted to the Lord in a certain area of their life, preaching or teaching or hospitality or leadership, and you just stand by while they never get off the starting line, you say, wow, that's too bad. They could have run that race harder. No, you need to stand with them and shoot off that gun and get them running. Help them to get there. We have to be engaged, which means you have to know each other well enough to know that. You can't just come on Sunday. You have to not do more than learn a name. You have to know each other so that you can know each other's pains and joys and hopes and fears. And then you provoke each other to love and good works. I'm not saying that's easy. In fact, I think it's incredibly hard. I mean, on a regular basis with three other pastors. It's probably the most important meeting I go to. And it's a meeting where the Lord speaks and these pastors declare a word. And I have to tell you, when Pastor Lorraine Thornhill fixes you with a godly stare and tells you what the Lord is saying, you may want to sit under the table, but you do what the Lord says. When the Reverend Dr. Virginia Ward turns to me and says, the Lord is calling you to do this, you don't go, no. You say, okay. When when Bishop John Border speaks prophetically in my life, I seek to receive it because I know he's doing it to call me to a deeper faith. That is the hardest but the most important meaning I too to because it's in that moment, in that moment, when I realize the Lord is getting into inside of my life to change me, to cause me to be his man, his person in this world, and not someone else's. And everyone in this church today needs that. Who is the community around you that's provoking you to love and good works? Who is that community? Two or three other people who know you well enough, who can call you to hope, can call you to change, to challenge you, to help you think what it means to actively hear from the Lord. Who are those people? And if you don't have them, then you need to find them. And this church can help you do that. And if you already have them, you need to value it. You need to hold on to it. You need to encourage it. Because it's essential in this world. Because let me tell you what happens if you don't. If you don't have that community, then you will all of a sudden discover you become someone else's person. You become your job's person. You become your school's person. You become that other person's person. And you get shaped by the world around you. And you lose track of where, and you don't even know what's happening. And one day you look up and think, I am so far away from Jesus, I don't know how I got here. But a community of faith calls us back, helps us when we're getting off track, helps us figure out who we're listening to and we shouldn't, calls us to remember of who Jesus is. You need to find that community. The last thing is from Hebrews 13, two verses, one and two. Let love, be mutual love, continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some have entertained angels without knowing it. Let mutual love continue. You know how to do that. We've all experienced mutual love at some point, but let it continue. Don't tire of it. Don't stop doing it. You may not know how to love others. You may be new to this community. You may be new to faith. You can learn from others in this community what it means to bring mutual love. But as you've loved, you don't have to learn, You need to learn how to give and then receive love. There are some in this sanctuary this morning who are unsure how to receive Jesus' love. You know that. You are unsure what it means that Jesus loves you and he gives you grace and he calls you to himself. And one of the callings is that you would receive his love so you can give it. And if the Lord is calling you this morning to give your way to him, you need to open your heart to him and let him embrace you and remind me of your name and who you are and what it means to be his. And as we practice mutual love, we need to practice hospitality. Hospitality is more than cookies and smiles. It is that. But it is a way of welcoming strangers. Look, the church is the only institution I know of that solely exists for the sake of those who aren't yet in it. We meet here today for the sake of those who are walking around Cambridge and don't know that Jesus is real. There are people walking by this building right now who don't know what we're doing in here. They don't have any idea who you are or who you know. They don't know what it means to be loved or saved or given hope. And we exist to help them discover that. That is hospitality. It is not just welcoming people in and hope they have a nice time. It's being able to say, come into our inner circle. And this is where community gets hard. Because we build a community of relationship and depth. It's hard to let new people in. It is hard. But the church exists to help people do that, to help people engage with him and be changed in his midst. We are meant to be a community, not a club, not a place, a gym we just come in and take advantage of, but a community that's related to one another. And the thing I'm asking today is what is it the Lord wants to do in you to cause you to participate in this community? Does he have a word for you today? Are you hearing a word from him? Is there someone you need to speak to? Is there a word for someone else in this place that you know is burning on your heart? Is there something the Lord has been asking you to do to give yourself to church? What is that thing? Because the Lord wants to live that out in you. The church exists for the sakes of those not yet in it. He's preparing us to be his people in Cambridge, in this place. And he wants you to participate in it. In this season of consecration, Brothers and sisters, it's a serious thing to let Jesus in. It's a serious thing to let him have room in you. It's a serious thing to let him go in you. And when we prayed and praised him this morning and said, you deserve our praise, our hallelujah, this is what he meant. When we say, Lord, you deserve our praise, we're all of a sudden saying, not just out there, but in here. We are opening ourselves up. And when he comes closer, we begin to experience where we're resisting him, And that's where we need to pray and let him work. And so as we move into a time of prayer, as we move in time of coming before him, I want you to come to him this morning and ask him, what is the one thing, Lord, that you would have me do to be more of this community? Is there a gift you want me to practice? Is there something you want me to repent of? Is there a person I need to speak to? Do I need to go call someone right now and call them to come? What is it the Lord wants to do? Let's begin to pray together and ask the Lord what he would have for us. And as music comes, as we allow the Lord, the Spirit to move, I'm going to ask you to begin to pray and ask the Lord what he would have of you. Let's begin to pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and thank you for your work. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand what it means to be your people, to be this community. Father, what is it you would have us do? We know your spirit is at work in this place. We know you are alive. That you are present here. We know you're doing a work in us even as we speak. What would you have us from us, Father? Father, there are gifts that are yet to emerge in this place. There are people in this room who don't believe they have gifts to offer into this kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would call out those gifts. If there is someone in this congregation that you know has a gift they're not using, I want you to get up right now and I want you to go and name that gift for them. I want you to encourage them to use that gift, to live into it. Don't just sit there. Do not just sit there. But if you know someone in this room has a gift they are not engaging with, you need to get up. You need to go to them and say, the Lord has has given you this gift. Lean into it. Some of you in this room today are not aware of how much God loves you. In this community, you are not aware that the Lord embraces you, that he wants you, that he knows you. And the call on your life today is to receive the work of the Spirit, to receive his love, to be embraced by him in hope. come today and let him love you and bless you and keep you in that. And in this season of change, there's some in this room who've allowed themselves to be the cornerstone instead of Jesus. Who are holding on too much to the church of the past. And you need to repent. You've made that choice not out of hate or control, but because you love this place. You've given your life to it. But in this moment, Jesus is saying the church is mine. And you need to loosen your hands on it so I can do my work.